morning, good morning, Sugar Creek family. What a great day it has been. Welcome to church today. We are so grateful that you are here. My name is Libin Abraham, and I get the joy of being the campus pastor at our Missouri City location, and it's just tremendous to be able to worship with you this morning. Maybe this is your first time in church, your first time with Sugar Creek. We just welcome you. Let's give it up for our visitors this morning. We're honored that you are joining us this morning. Amen. You're surrounded by some of the greatest people in the world who will love to do life with you and help you take the next step to wherever God may be calling you to. We are in week five of our 40 Days of Prayer series, and last week we took a break because it was Easter, obviously, and what an amazing Easter weekend we had. On both of our campuses, we had a total of eight services, and amongst those eight services, we had right up at 8,500 people on campus, on both campuses. That's pretty amazing. Give yourselves a hand for inviting and serving. We had so many of you who served all weekend, so many of you who invited friends and family members, dogs and cats, and you just put the invite out there, and we're glad you did. And many who came encountered the beautiful, powerful impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in their life. And over the last few weeks in this prayer series, God has been doing nothing short of phenomenal things in and through our church. And I hope you've been sensing it and feeling a move of God that's sweeping through our church. Over the last four weeks, our our connect groups are united together in prayer every time they meet. We've got 12 groups, over 90 people meeting together in Richmond, Rosenberg. We haven't even launched the campus yet, but they're meeting together just to pray. We've seen students come to faith in Jesus in our C2 groups. We've seen all kinds of miracles happening over the last 40 uh, days or so. Even on our staff, we've been able to devote more and more time towards prayer. Pastor gave us a great charge that before any meeting, spend more time than usual in prayer. And we've seen God do some amazing things. And did you know that two weeks ago, two Sundays ago, in one day, in our church, we baptized 61 people? That's pretty awesome. Yay, God. That's pretty amazing. 61 people were baptized through the ministry and the gospel of this church. And we're so grateful for what God is up to. And Pastor, when he began this series, gave us a description of this vision. The families would come together just to pray. Dads and moms and boys and girls would gather in their home and recommit their heart to the altar of prayer. And we've heard so many stories in the last few weeks of parents saying, We've had some amazing moments of prayer. For the first time, we're praying together as a married couple or as a family. And we're praying that in the weeks and months ahead, that that steam just keeps picking up. And that we together journey to the depths of prayer greater than we have ever seen or experienced before. This week, in this week five of this series, I want to put before you a question that I've been thinking about for the last few months. And this is the question. If God were to answer all of your prayers, would anything change in the world except for your life? If God were to meet all of your requests and everything on your prayer list came true, would anyone's life change except your own? There'll be moments in my own times of prayer that the Holy Spirit has convicted me that a lot of my prayer revolves around me, my life, my family, my career, my finances, my future. It all centers around me, and the Holy Spirit 
oftentimes would ask me that question. If I answered all the things that you deeply care about, what would be the impact in the world? I mean, what kind of ripple effect will you see in the nations, in your city, in your community, if your prayers were answered? And I think if most Christians got their prayers answered, they would be happier people, maybe more successful, get a promotion, earn more money, have nicer homes and things, and maybe a better education for their children, and that's it. That's the limit, the lid we put on prayer. George Barna last year in 2018 did a survey across Christians in America, and he asked the question, what do you pray for the most? What's your number one request in prayer? And the vast majority, over 66%, say, well, my immediate family and my immediate context of friends. 47% of people said, I pray mostly about my own personal health and wellness. In a separate survey, 26% of people who answered the survey said, my number one request is for my sports team to win a championship. <laughs> That's pretty good, isn't it? 21% said, my number one request is to win the lottery. Not to get a job, but to win the lottery. And oftentimes, our prayers revolve around us. And, and the amazing thing is God invites us to pray for our personal needs. And that's a miracle in itself that we can go to the creator of the universe and he actually cares about the smallest details of our life. And he listens to us, whether we're praying for an interview or a job or an exam or to find our keys. God listens to us when we pray. And in fact, Jesus taught us in the modeled prayer, in what we call the Lord's Prayer, you can pray like this, give us this day our daily bread. And God hears our daily needs, our prayer for daily bread. But before Jesus taught us to pray for daily bread, what did he say first and foremost? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, Jesus said it like this, pray like this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us before we plead for daily bread to plead for kingdom come. That before we get so consumed in our personal needs and desires that we pray kingdom prayers. It's amazing that God invites you and I to pray kingdom-sized, God-sized, earth-changing, kingdom-bringing kind of prayers. Did you know that your prayers could change the world? What you do in your prayer closet, what you do on your knees could actually have a ripple effect and it changed the world. That's the invitation that God gives to us to pray that his kingdom is realized, his reign is more fully realized on the earth. Not just to pray prayers that change our life but to pray prayers that change the world. James said it like this in James 4, verse 2 to 3. James, the brother of Jesus, said, You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your own pleasures. That's a gut check for me oftentimes. I mean, how many times have I missed out on God doing supernatural world-changing things simply because I didn't have a big enough faith to ask? How many often times did I miss out on God displaying his wonder-working, world-changing power simply because my prayers were so small and so me-centered and my needs centered? James says, 
You don't have because either you don't ask or we ask for our own gains. In a social experiment on YouTube, parents gave their children $1 to walk a few yards up to an ice cream truck and buy an ice cream cone. Sounds like a great deal. And so these kids began to walk, but what they didn't know was that between them and the ice cream truck was a staged homeless man who was asking for money. And so now these four to six-year-olds have a hard decision to make. (laughs) Am I going to spend the dollar my daddy and mommy gave me to buy ice cream or give it away to somebody in need? It's a hard decision. Well, let's see what these four to six-year-olds did. Look at what they did. Take a look at this video. That's pretty amazing. Those kids are from Sugar Creek, I'm sure, I'm certain, because that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I highly doubt that my daughter would do that. She loves ice cream way too much. She wouldn't even share with me, so I've got a little work to do. But that was an amazing display. The video ended with the question, what will you do with your dollar? And I want to spin that question and ask, what will you do with your prayer? Our Heavenly Father has gifted us this amazing access to Him at any moment that we can pray and He hears us. And we can decide to spend all of our prayers on us, on my, mine, and ours, and everything that pertains to me. Or we can redirect our prayers to a world who needs them desperately. That we can stand in behalf of broken realities around us and lives who are in desperate need. And as we pray for our personal needs, we pray kingdom prayers. This is amazing that we could pray kingdom prayers. Did you realize the, the uh, response of the parents when they saw their children make the right decision? How happy and full of joy they were? Let me tell you, every moment we shift from just personal prayers to kingdom prayers, our heavenly Father rejoices. He rejoices in the prayers we pray. What is a kingdom prayer? A kingdom prayer is simply a whole new level of praying where we begin to pray for what is on God's heart and not just for what's on our heart. 
We tap into the passion, the desire, the will of our Heavenly Father. What aches his heart. And we pray his passions, his desires for the world, not just for what matters to me and what I can see and what I can touch in the world. That's a kingdom prayer. Today in our moment together, I want to zero in on a particular prayer that a lesser known prophet by the name of Habakkuk prays in this little book called Habakkuk. Habakkuk, this man, is phenomenal. He, he lived sandwiched between two tragedies. His life story came right after the destruction of the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 and before the destruction of the southern kingdom, the Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem in 587. So he's literally between these two climactic events, two major moments in the nation of Israel, two great tragedies. He saw what the Assyrians did to the northern kingdom, and now he foresees what the Babylonians will do to the southern kingdom. But as he lives between these two tragic events, he's bold, he is brave, and even burdened. And what does he do? He prays for a revival. That's what he does. As he foresees the tragedy that awaits his nation, he's burdened to pray for revival. This little book is just three chapters long, and here you find three prayers of the prophet Habakkuk. And today, I want to just look at his third prayer, just how he begins his third prayer to the Lord. Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2 says it like this, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Oh God, I've heard of what you've done, of your fame and your deeds. Repeat them in our day. In our time, remember mercy instead of wrath. Here are a few things we learn from Habakkuk's kingdom prayer. First of all, kingdom prayers can be prayed by everyday ordinary people. Kingdom prayers can be prayed by ordinary, everyday kind of people. What's amazing about this book is that you don't really hear of the prophet Habakkuk a whole lot. He's actually called the minor prophet. I'd be a little offended if I was called a minor prophet. But, you know, we don't really hear about him as much as we do about Isaiah and Jeremiah. And he's a minor prophet not because he's something less than, but because he just doesn't have a whole lot to say. I mean, he gets three chapters in this entire book. And if you've got a Bible in print, you know, when you're thumbing through the pages of Scripture trying to find Habakkuk, you have a hard time finding it. He's like, where is this guy, right? I mean, outside of these cha three chapters, we don't know anything about him. We don't know his history, where he's from, what lineage he's from. He's a pretty unpronounced person. He's not great like Elijah or Jeremiah. He's an ordinary guy with a burden. If you're anything like me, on most days you feel pretty ordinary, right? I mean, I know we have our dreams of superhero powers and maybe even an invisible cape, maybe a visible cape somewhere in your closet, and you wish you had these superhero-ish powers. But when you wake up most days, you feel pretty ordinary, and some days even less than ordinary. And you can ask yourself, do my prayers actually do anything? I mean, seriously, does God listen to my prayers? Does it cause change in the world? Does it matter? I want to just remind you today that every time we pray, we speak to God. And in our ordinary, God puts an extra in front of it. 
In our natural, God puts a super in front of it. And when we offer to God what seems like an ordinary prayer, God takes our ordinary and our natural and he produces extraordinary and he produces supernatural outcomes from what we think is just nothing. That's what God does. So often we put these scripture writers on a pedestal and we'll think we'll never be like them. God could never use me like them. He could never hear my prayer like he did for them. But I want to just remind you of a small verse in James and how he describes the powerful Elijah. Yeah, that guy that was fed by the ravens and did extraordinary miracles in the Old Testament. Notice how James describes Elijah. James chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Elijah was as human as we are. Catch that. He was as human as we are. And yet, when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. And then he prayed again, and the sky sent down rain, and the earth began to yield its crops. Wow. The mighty Elijah, he was as human as you are and I am. He was weak like we are, uncertain like we are, afraid like we are, fearful, timid, discouraged. And in fact, we find out in the scriptures that he fought depression and anxiety. That's who Elijah was, a very weak, broken human being. But yet when he prayed, God heard. And the heavens were shut and heavens are opened when he prayed again. So you might say, well, I'm not a pastor. I've never been to seminary. I haven't been trained I'm not on a staff at a church, but let me tell you, God specializes in taking our ordinary and doing extraordinary, taking our natural and doing supernatural things. Kingdom, world-changing prayers are prayed by everyday people. Second of all, kingdom prayers are unwilling to accept the status quo. Kingdom prayers are prayers that are simply unwilling to accept status quo. This short book begins in chapter 1, verse 1, by saying, the burden which Habakkuk, the prophet, did see. The burden that Habakkuk did see. Habakkuk foresees the devastation that's coming to Jerusalem. And he doesn't dismiss it. He doesn't avoid it. He doesn't place blame on anybody else. What does he do? He feels a burden for it. He begins to feel what he sees. He feels an immense load on his shoulder, so much so that he begins to plead to God for mercy. He felt a burden. He was unwilling to accept reality as it was. Status quo simply means the current state of affairs, things as they are. And as Christians, we can stand by and look by and just accept reality as it is. And if we accept it, we'll adjust to it, we'll acquiesce to it. Or we can be like Habakkuk who feels a burden for change. Who feels fire in our bones, says this can't be the way it ends. We feel passion inside of us. He felt a burden for things to be different. The greatest danger in our day is apathy. We've got resource. We've got information. We even have influence. But so many of us are apathetic, indifferent, 
to the realities around us. And today I'm praying that we feel a tremendous burden that God could only give. Do you remember what Nehemiah did? When Nehemiah heard about the walls of Jerusalem, how did he respond? Look at chapter 1 of Nehemiah, verses 3 to 4. They said to me, those who survived the exile are now back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, for several days, I mourned and fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. Nehemiah lived a thousand miles from Jerusalem. He was so distant from Jerusalem. He could have made so many excuses. And in fact, he was living a very luxurious life, being the cupbearer to the king in his day. He could have made so many excuses and said, well, I'm so far away. Somebody in Jerusalem will take care of it. I'll pray about it and I'll move on with my life. But what did Nehemiah do with his current reality that was so far away? He got on his knees. He wept, he mourned, he felt a burden, he felt the weight on his shoulders and he was moved to action because he felt a burden. I wondered this morning what it is that you've grown used to that you used to be burdened for. What have you acclimated to adjusted to, gotten used to, that you used to be bothered by. It used to drive you to your knees. It used to keep you up at night. But over time, what used to be rare is now so normal, and you've ceased to care. Things that would weigh so heavy are so normal now, and we don't care anymore. What dysfunction in your family have you acclimated to? What brokenness in your marriage have you made excuses for? What social injustices have we ceased to care for? What division in our nation do we look at and say, well, I could never do anything about that, so why even pray? It'll always be that way. What decadence of morality have we just acclimated to and just ceased to care for the things that once used to bother us? We don't feel a burden anymore. Today I'm praying that God fills us with a new dose of burden. That Habakkuk prayed a longing, a willingness that we can't get rid of. Our schools are in need of great prayer. Our cities, our communities, our nation now more than ever needs us to be praying for them. Our world is in need of a revival that only God can bring, a repentance to sweep through the nations now more than ever before. Every single day worldwide, there are 125,000 pre-born children that are aborted. Does it bother us? Do we anguish over it? Every single where you look, 40 million victims of human trafficking sold and bought as property. Real people like you and I, children, women, sold and bought, 40 million of them. We have a generation right now that is being reoriented to sexuality, re-educated on what it is from 42 million pornographic websites. That's a reality. And the average age of exposure just keeps decreasing currently at the age of 11. It should weigh heavy 
with a burden on our heart. The Joshua Project states that today there are 7,000 people groups in the world that have never been reached with the gospel. And that represents 3.15 billion people who will go to sleep tonight. Many will die this afternoon having never heard the name Jesus. No new life, no eternity that awaits them because they are unreached with the gospel. There are people in your world, in your life, in your family, at your workplace, down the street, on your block, that are without Christ and heading to an eternity apart from him. Do we still care? Does it weigh on us as a burden we can't get rid of? I love how Paul puts it in Romans 9, verse 1. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. Circle those two words, unceasing anguish. That's what we need today. We know what it is to be concerned, right, for a temporary moment. We'll see a moving commercial and send a check their way. And then we go on a vacation and forget all about us, all about it. We'll hear a devastating news somewhere far away. Maybe we'll throw up a quick prayer and then we move right along. We'll go watch a movie and numb the burden. Entertainment does a really good job of pushing away godly burdens from our hearts. But what I'm praying for is this kind of an unceasing anguish, an anguish you can shrug off your shoulders, an anguish you can brush away, an anguish that stays with you until it's resolved, an unceasing anguish that drives you to your knees and you pray until you see something happen. That is what we are in need of today. Kingdom prayers are birthed with a burden, an anguish from heaven for the things that God sees every day. Kingdom prayers can be prayed by everyday people. They're prayed with a burden and anguish. Number three, kingdom prayers are confident in who God is and what he can do so confident in who God is and what he can do. This verse we read, let me read it again, Habakkuk 3.2. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. Lord, repeat them in our day, in our time. Make them known. Coupled with a great burden is a great confidence for Habakkuk. He feels a burden, but he also on the other side has a huge confidence in who God is. And so he says, God, I've heard of what you've done before. And he's thinking about the stories of, that he's heard of how God led the Israelites out of 400 years of slavery. How he led them through dry ground in the Red Seas while destroying Pharaoh and his chariots. He's thinking about how God time and time again rescued Israel from the hand of their enemies. And they, they were revived by God. And so he's saying, I've heard the stories, God, and I've even seen it in my own lifetime. But my prayer today is that you would repeat it, that you would do it again, that you would have mercy once again, you would revive us once again, that you would cause a great change once again. I'm so confident in who you are because as I look through the rear view of history, I've seen you come through. I've seen you do miracles. I've seen you do move mountains. 
And I believe that you are as powerful now as you were then. That we have an unchanging God who is able to do it again. This is what he is confident in. That God can repeat his great deeds once again. In our history we've seen the great awakenings in the 17th and 18th century where in the face of enlightenment and secularism, God used preachers, ordinary Christians to change the course of this nation. We've seen and heard about the 19th century revivals, the Welsh revivals where 5 million people came to Christ in a short period of time. Most recently, we've heard about the underground revivals in China where within 20 years, the population of Christians in China went from 2 million to 75 million people. An amazing move of God. There are countless stories of revival and brokenness and repentance in the world where God came through once again. But today I want you to stand with Habakkuk, pray with Habakkuk. God, I've seen, I've heard, but I want to see it again. I want to be a part of it again. I want my kids to grow up in the season of revival. I want the nations to see the glory of God once again, the display of your power and majesty. We want to see you repeat a great move once again. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we live by faith and not by sight. Have you ever imagined the context of this verse? Paul is speaking about the resurrection. About looking at a person who's dead. And believing that if they're in Christ, they're more alive now than ever before. He's talking about when you see a dead corpse, you don't live by sight. You live by faith. When you see destruction all around you, you're not convinced that God's done yet. When you look at our nation, don't be convinced that God's done with America, that he's done with Sugarland, Houston, Missouri City, Richmond, Rosenberg, that he's done moving in the world. No, we live by faith, knowing that God is who he said he is. He'll do what he promised to do. And so we come to God full of faith, not just expectations, but anticipation, knowing who he is, how loving and powerful he is. We have faith to pray for yet another move of God in the world. We don't live by sight. We live by? Come on, you can say it a little louder. We live by? faith. Don't convince yourself that God's done with you. That he's done with your family, your marriage, your home. He's not. Let faith be alive again. Believing in the impossible things. Number four, kingdom prayers. Stand in the gap for someone else. Stand in the gap for someone else. Notice the shift in the pronouns, the personal pronouns that Habakkuk uses. In verse 2 he says, I have heard of your fame. I saw your deeds. But then he changes from a singular pronoun to a plural pronoun. And he says, repeat them in our day. In our time, oh God, make them known. He didn't have a church to speak to. He didn't have a great audience listening to him. But here is a minor prophet, an ordinary person standing in the gap for an entire nation. God, we want to see it. Cause us to reflect on your mighty power. Songwriter 
torn walls, put it like this. If we want to see more of heaven present in humanity, we need to touch heaven on our collective behalf, not just on our personal behalf. The world needs followers of Jesus praying beyond the scope of their own lives. Beyond just what matters to me. The theologian by the name of J.I. Packer, it is said that in his devotionals, he gets the newspaper out and begins to pray through the newspaper. Names of people he doesn't know, cities that he's not aware of, but just to stand on their behalf and pray for them. We need to go to God representing our community, our nation, our world. Jeremiah puts it like this in Jeremiah 29 verse 7 as God speaks to those in the exile that Habakkuk prophesies about. He says, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. As you lift up your city, your community, and pray for revival and prosperity for those around you in its welfare, in its joy, you'll find your strength and your joy. We know this passage really familiarly. 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, if my people, who? My people. Not those in government, not those in D.C. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. My people and their land are directly correlated. The condition of our nation, the condition of our land is predicated, dependent, correlated to how willing we are to go to God on its behalf. To represent a collective voice in our culture, in our community, and say, God, will you do it in our nation again? We have so many strongholds in our culture, in this generation, so many spiritual forces at work. But can I remind us what Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4? For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Isn't that awesome? When you pray, you have a massive force of heaven backing you up, that you win the greatest battles on your knees, that when we go to God, it pulls down the enemy's strongholds. It destroys the forts of the enemy. Policies may deal with symptoms, but prayer pulls down strongholds. Amen? Policies and people, man-made systems can deal with what's on the surface. But when you go to your God in prayer, it changes what's on the inside. It changes the very foundation of our systems. Pulling down strongholds. It's time for us to be watchmen over our communities and cities. Praying, believing in a great move of God. There's a verse in Ezekiel 22 verse 30 that I pray is never said about us. A passage of scripture, I pray will not be true about you and I. I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But, but I found no one. I looked for somebody in that generation, in that city, in that neighborhood, to stand in the gap on behalf of their land, but I couldn't find anyone. 
Let that not be said about us. But rather, that in this time, in such a season as now, when God surveys the world, when he looks at our city, he sees Sugar Creek standing in the gap. He sees you standing in the gap with a flag of surrender, praying, believing for a revival. When he looks at your company, when he looks at your school students, when he surveys your district, he sees you standing in the gap, unwilling to accept status quo, believing in a revival, believing that your classmates can have a new life in Jesus, believing that there could be a revival in our day, that we would be found faithful in prayer to stand in the gap for those we may not even know. Let it be so. Let it be so. Lastly, kingdom prayers are persistent prayers. Kingdom prayers prayed by ordinary people, prayed because we're unwilling to accept status quo, praying because we're confident, praying on behalf of somebody else, but praying persistently. Notice how Habakkuk ends his prayer in chapter 3. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall. That sounds pretty depressing. In our day, it would be like, though the stock market crashes, though my 401 runs empty, though everything I've invested in depletes, though I have no income, no job, nothing, though it gets dark and it gets worse, what am I going to do? Yet. I will rejoice. Somebody say that with me. Yet, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Habakkuk is saying, though I don't see answers immediately, I'm going to keep pressing in. Though I may not see what I'm praying for in my own lifetime, I'm going to keep believing. And the truth is that Habakkuk didn't see the answer to his prayer in his lifetime. But it would come years later, decades later, when God would raise up Cyrus and Persia to rescue God's people. And in fact, his prayer for mercy was ultimately answered five, six centuries later. When God sent Jesus to be mercy on our behalf. He didn't know what he was praying for, but years later, God answered him. And I want to tell you today, don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. Don't give up on your family. Don't give in to the lies of the enemy. Don't give up on your marriage, on your city, in our world. We need to re-up our desire, our passion to keep praying no matter what. Our confidence is not in the results, but it's in God. We're not hoping for something. We're hoping in someone who is sovereign, and in him we find strength. Tim Homa, who is our campus pastor for Richmond Rosenberg, told me a few weeks ago that he prayed for his dad 25 years before he gave his life to Christ. Many of you know Rod Harnden, great leader in our church. He said that for 42 years he's been praying for his brother to be saved. 42 years and there was no end in sight. It just got worse and he just got further from the Lord. But a couple of months ago, Rod had the chance to lead his brother to Christ. Pretty amazing. Ivan Rivera is one of our associate pastors in our Spanish ministry. He shared a story last Sunday with our staff. 
he told us about his dad. His dad had walked away from God and from the church as a teenager. And so since the early 90s, for the last 30, almost 30 years, his family has been praying for their dad. So when we began this 40 Days of Prayer series, I even asked his connect group, please pray for my dad. Here's his name. Please pray for my dad. I want him to be saved. And so a week after we began the series, Ivan's dad and other family members were met with a terrible car accident that left bones broken and fractures all over. And they actually thought his dad was dead because he was unconscious for so many hours. But God had mercy and saved them. They, they were rescued out of that accident. And a week later, since the accident, Ivan's stepbrother, his dad's oldest son, who lives in El Salvador, dies. He passes away. Can you imagine these two tragedies? Car wreck and you're trying to recover, put the pieces back together and your son dies. But even in the midst of all of those things, he still refused Jesus, refusing to yield his life to God. Ivan and his group kept praying. And Ivan invited his dad to come to church on Easter weekend, last weekend, to come to Sugar Creek. And somehow his dad said yes, and he came. And last Sunday at the 1235 Spanish service, Ivan's dad gave his life to Jesus. 30 years of praying answered in 40 days. Would you stand on your feet? What is it that you're praying for, knocking on the door for? It's taking days, weeks, decades. Don't give up on praying kingdom prayers. What if as a church on all of our campuses and services, we elevated one more notch in our prayers from personal prayers to kingdom prayers? And the answers to our prayers meant a lost person coming to Christ, a broken family being restored, a positive change in our culture, and nothing short of revival in our world. What if every time our prayers got answered, somebody in some part of the world, maybe we haven't even met them or known their name, but they were touched by God? That we begin to see a ripple effect of transformation and life change in the world. Today I'm asking you, be burdened. We're going to respond with singing the song that simply says what Habakkuk says. Do it again, God. Do it again. Repeat it in our day. And this is what we're going to do. This is going to be a response moment. And I'm actually going to ask you to get out of your seats. There are these foam blackboards on both aisles, or both sides. They're in the transverse aisles, and they're also right here in the front. And there are cups of pens and markers. Today, what I'm asking you to do is write names of people that are far from God. Maybe during the sermon, God brought people into your mind. Let's write their first name down, just their first name, and be praying for them until we see an answer. Maybe there are some issues that God has deeply laid on your heart. Maybe you've been praying about, maybe things you used to pray for long ago, but now you've given up some kingdom-sized burdens. Write them down. And as a church, we're going to be praying and believing and confident that our God answers prayers. That the best days are not behind us, but they're ahead of us. That the greatest moves of God are not in past, but they're in the future. That we could live in the era of such a move of God where 
what no eye could have seen or imagined, we see in our lifetime. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you. Fill us with a burden from heaven that cannot be numbed or shaken away. Move in our hearts in this moment and may the Holy Spirit bring to our hearts what's on your heart. Cross the great chasm and unite our heart with you, God. God, you're inside of us and today may we have ears that listen to the passion of your heart. And now as we respond, take these ordinary prayers and produce extraordinary results. Do what only you can do. We come with more than just expectation, but anticipation that you will exceed our expectation. Do it again. Repeat your great works once again in history. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's make it.